William Cowper. Um, and my understanding of who this hymn writer was, he really struggled deeply with depression uh, through his whole life, on and off and on and off. And he did write quite a number of hymns. But think of how this particular hymn uh, goes. Think, think of the story that's un- unfolded here. That it begins speaking about the blood that is shed for sinners. Uh, from Emmanuel's veins, the, the God with us, from, from the veins of God with us comes a blood. And, and the next line spoke about the, the thief who died on the cross next to Christ. And, and the guilty thief could, could look to and hope in the shed blood of Christ from, from the cross itself. And it just makes me wonder if maybe Mr. Cowper himself um, just found such great comfort because he knew there was a Savior who shed his blood for sinners. Um, never forget that your greatest need in the world is someone to die for your sin. And the Lord Jesus is the one who shed his blood for sinners. What a great hymn that is. Final message today on uh, on needing a pastor, thinking about you know who and what a pastor is, why we need a pastor, maybe some of what his work is, how we identify a pastor. Discipleship is the work of a Christian. Every person who's, who's been born again has been called to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. They're being trained by the Lord Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's a student. And students of the Lord Jesus are brought into their tutelage. Your, your, your school is your congregation. And as we have reviewed the last two weeks in a row, Ephesians 4 is, is one of the clearest places that the whole unfolding of, of the New Testament picture of, of, uh, of what a Christian does in, in the New Covenant while we wait for the Lord's return is, is we go from the command to make disciples in Matthew 28 to a very refined picture of a local congregation being instructed how, how does the administration of discipleship work? And, and what are its goals? What is its end? And you have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers who have been given to the congregation. And the congregation's job is to be taught by them, growing to maturity in Christ until they reach a certain standard of maturity. Do you recall what that standard of maturity is in, in Ephesians chapter 4? How mature do you have to be before you're done with this job? The full measure of the stature of Christ. Are you guys ready for graduation? Is, is it time to put your, your cap on or are, are you done? No. And uh, I mean, isn't it great? We know where we stand. We, we've got a, a life to give this job of discipleship in Christ, don't we? Do you, do you practice your faith with this dependence with this with this interaction with a pastor is that how you see a pastor is that what they're for because that's what the bible says they're for so on on the front end here as we're thinking about this today and as you are thinking about a congregation's need for a pastor think about your own need for a pastor 
I'm, I'm, I'm not putting me in this slot here. I, I am a pastor. I'm your pastor. But the, the New Testament teaching here is your need for a pastor. And a church's need for a pastor is learning to identify him and then being with him. Letting him minister to me. Letting that pastor minister to you is is a key part of your discipleship in Christ. We have been reviewing Titus 1, 4 to 9 the last two weeks. I'm going to read you this morning, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, and then we'll go back to the passage in Titus. They're almost identical, but let's look at the one in 1 Timothy chapter 3 today. Verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Timothy being the pastor at the the church in Ephesus. Young, young pastor. Here's how the paragraph begins. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. Does that sound familiar? We read that last week in Titus. He must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall in the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil outside there being out of the congregation. He must have a good reputation with those who are not part of the church. So both Titus and Timothy are taught, they're instructed by the apostle. And the, the apostles are this wonderful, great, unique gift given to the church. They are the, the prophets of the new covenant. The apostles are the light bringers the same way Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets of the Old Covenant are. These these men are specially gifted and specially given to the church to bring this revelation to the church. And here they're teaching Timothy and Titus. Here's how you're going to recognize them. Here's how you know who they are, Timothy and Titus, this is what you're going to see. This is how you're going to know if this person is, is a pastor or not. And therefore, a Christian, you as a Christian are able to know. You're able to discern with a careful uh, study of this and a careful application of these passages who, who's a pastor, who, who isn't a pastor. Back at Titus chapter 1 at verse 4 is where the, where the section begins very, very similarly. And by the time we got to verse 6, we see that he's blameless. After it mentions he's blameless there in Titus, um, it, it mentions two characteristics. <clears throat> Excuse me. If he's blameless, husband of one wife, having faithful children, we see these things and 
and you might read them as, as separate qualifications, but it, it seems that they're related to one another. Uh, husband of one wife, faithful children, not accused of, of dissipation. For, it goes on to say, if you look at your Bible there in verse 7, for, he's blameless. This is what kind of husband he is. This is what kind of a father he is. For, it, it, it ties them all together. It, it, it's one thought. It's one argument. For, he says, a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. In other words, the blamelessness in, in, in the eyes of the apostles speaking to uh, Timothy and Titus, teaching them, here's how you're going to know who he is, that the primary application, the primary way of understanding his blamelessness is his husbandness and is his, uh, the, the, the way he has trained his children. Are his children insubordinate? Are his children guilty of dissipation? So blamelessness has to do with this man's marital relationship and his faithfulness to his wife and and what, what, what has resulted from this man's relationship with his children? What, what's, the, what, what's the nature in terms of their submission to authority, their, their father's authority, and what is their uh, attitude toward um, civility versus incivility? Are, 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 they, are they wild children, or are they children known by their orderly conduct is, is the basic nature of, of what we're seeing in this uh, blameless man's family life here. You should be able to see these things in the, in the person's life. There's, there's evidences of these things. And again, a question we've asked a lot, and, and I want to make sure this question stays on the table. As, as you think about this congregation and and other congregations that you will likely be involved in in the future. That is to say, very few people go to one church and stay in that one church for the rest of their days in America anymore. You'll very likely be maybe part of a different congregation 10 years from now. Is the person who, who is serving as your pastor, is, is he characterized by these things and, and how would you know? You want to know. In other words, don't be don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed about putting through your mind the process of how how will I inquire as to whether or not this person is an elder or not. How how, how will I go about being confident of this? It's okay for you to want to know. You should want to know. And so then that may involve yourself listening to how his wife speaks about her husband and their children or other possible ways of uh, potentially maybe even interviewing the person who would be a pastor, asking them questions of how they deal with things going on in their family and then the rest of these uh, qualifications. And if you discover he's failing, if you discover you don't feel confident that this person is actually a pastor or an elder, then bring your question. Bring that question to, to me if you can. Bring it to someone who can help you evaluate. And you say, and you're thinking something like this to yourself. I, I, I think from what I've seen, I think from what I'm discerning here, I think from what I'm learning, I don't think this person is qualified to be a pastor. What do you think my 
my Christian brother? What do you think, my mature Christian friend? Am I right in this assessment, or am I being am I being hasty? Am I being overly critical? It's a very important thing for us to get a good handle on here. And in, in in this passage, this person has been called a bishop, and I was just going to take a, a short rabbit trail. There are other names, and and I want to make sure that you know that they're basically synonyms in the New Testament. There's some other titles for this person in the New Testament. So verse 7 um, refers to him as a bishop. And that's a that's a different Greek word from these other Greek words. And in other words, when, when we read the, the word bishop, when we read the word elder, when we read the word pastor, when we read these words in, in English, they actually do represent different words in the original language of the New Testament. And, and the Bible interchanges these words. And so if you go to a church and, and they call that officer a bishop, don't go, oh, wow, that's too weird. I don't really like that that high. I just want a pastor. I don't want a bishop. The, the New Testament does treat these offices as the same. It's, it's a title, but with five different words referring to Potentially different uh, different facets of his of his leadership, but let's just real quickly look at First uh, Peter chapter two verse twenty five, and the handout on the back table lists out the qualifications of the elder or of the bishop. So that handout could potentially help you if you didn't grab it already. But First Peter two twenty five <coughs> gives us. Uh, one of the ways where we tie these things together like this. So 1 Peter 2, 25, and I'm going to try to keep her moving here today. Look at the verse here. It says, for you are like sheep going astray. So these are the, the Christians that are being addressed in, in Peter's letter. You are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So the shepherd is one of the words used for a pastor that we'll, we'll be looking at. And that word overseer is that word bishop. Okay, so that's the shepherd and overseer. Shepherd and bishop is... Now we see uh, shepherd and bishop are obviously maybe not the exact identical thing, but shepherd and, and bishop there in the verse we just read are the same person, right? Who is the shepherd and overseer? Christ. The shepherd and overseer of your soul is Christ. So we can see both of those names are appropriate for this shepherd, for the bishop. And that ties us back to where we're at in Titus. Okay, so now we have at least one synonym. We know that one other word for bishop is is shepherd. So we've we've made that connection. Oh, we could call him overseer or we could call him shepherd. There's a, a clear line there. First Peter five, one to three <coughs> calls him the elder. So first Peter five, one to three. So the bishop is called an episcopon. Episcopon. Shepherd is poimen. You don't need to know the words, obviously, but these are different words, all meaning this office in the church. So 1 Peter 5, 1 to 3, the elders who are among you, the elders who are among you, he says, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. 
shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. You see the different words being used just in these three verses. The elders, he begins. And then he says, shepherd the flock, elders, as overseers. These words are, realistically, we can fairly and biblically call them synonyms. In Ephesians 4.11, can you guys remember the, the, the titles and, and he gave, Christ gave at, at Ephesians chapter 4? What did he give to the church? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. So there we see that word pastor. That word pastor and the word shepherd have the same root in Greek. It's poimen again. So we see this word pastor and we see the word shepherd. They, they have the same root word there. A, a, a pastor is a shepherd. And then 1 Timothy 3 calls him a bishop. We read that a minute ago. 1 Timothy 3 said the, the bishop. And then at closer to the end of First uh, Timothy in chapter 5, verse 19, calls him an elder again. So, again, just, it's just very quickly, don't, don't get distracted by the, the different possible titles in the New Testament. They are referring to this, this pastor, teacher, this shepherd in your congregation, in your church. And so let's keep going here um, in terms of the characteristics that are being listed off to us there in Titus. We get past uh, the, the blamelessness of him, which was in verse uh, 7. Must be blameless, it said. And then it went on to say he's not self-willed. So the, the elder, the shepherd, pastor, the bishop, he's not self-willed is another characteristic of him. So let me just say, if he's not self-willed, you and I have to realize that that he is actually acting under somebody's will, and you know that that would be he's acting under Christ's will. Now, it's possible that some shepherds aren't uh, maybe so self-willed, but maybe they are really committed to a wrong person's view or a wrong person's philosophy of doing church and in that sense we could say he's he's not Christ willed we can see sometimes uh, pastors who are not practicing a, a a teaching they're not faithful to the teaching of the apostles they're maybe uh, teaching in in the tradition of some denomination some prosperity gospel type thing possibly some seeker gospel type thing possibly does the self-willed man is uh, most easily contract contrasted against is he christ-willed and if he's christ-willed then he's apostolic in his teaching he's he's staying close to the teaching of the apostles okay the bishop the bishop needs to be word led 
He needs to be mindful of the Word and His will must be submitted to the Word of God. So not being self-willed means he must be God-willed. He must be Word, Scripture-willed. He's not quick-tempered, it goes on to say after that. He's not quick-tempered. Quick-tempered men react with anger. Quick-tempered men react they, they react with disgust. They react with impatience. Okay, quick, quick-temperedness is not um, spirit-tempered, not grace-tempered. But a quick-tempered person is crossed. They're, they're maybe confronted. They're maybe called something. They're, they, they run into something and they react with, with temper, with, with anger, with, with accusations. Sometimes circumstances lead to the quick-tempered man acting like this. And sometimes people cause these reactions uh, circumstances can be you're working on something, you're, you're trying to fix something, you're, you're building something and it doesn't go your way and you lose your temper and you get mad and you start yelling at it. People can do the same thing to the quick-tempered man. The quick-tempered man finds somebody disagreeing with him, finds somebody behaving in a way that he finds frustrating and he explodes or he reacts. His, his, his temper is what's in charge, not the spirit. Okay, quick-temperedness is discernible by a person who is led by this frustration or by this circumstance when he is crossed A pastor can and must at times become angry. Look at Ephesians 4.26. A pastor must at times be angry. One of the phrases that you have surely heard is, is righteous indignation. Being mad at, at, at sin. Being mad at abuse of some kind, maybe being mad at a person who is abusing, who is uh, foolishly and persistently living in sin. Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. That's kind of a little bit of a challenge, isn't it? Be angry and do not sin. It's okay to see a circumstance, to see a situation, and, and its sinfulness, its harmfulness makes us mad because there's harm coming from it, from false teaching, from, from some kind of cruel abuse, from injustice. When, when injustice reigns, you can be angry at that. But it says be angry and sin not there in Ephesians chapter 4. Don't sin. And so the elder, he's not quick-tempered, but he may be angry with righteous indignation. When, when God's honor is offended, when rightness is not done, he, he may be angry. And that is, that is not prohibited for the elder. 
He should actually be like that. And he will behave and act like that under constraint of the spirit. He will be so. The next one it lists out there is not given to wine. So back in Titus there, let's see if I can put my finger on it. Not given to wine is still in verse 7. One commentator I read a couple of years ago uh, used the translation not long at the glass was the, was the way the one commentator said it. If a man prefers wine or if he's often found, uh, so, some people kind of, uh, their, 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 their cup of wine at the end of the day is almost part of their daily ritual. It's just kind of their routine. And so if they're often found drinking or even in, in, in some people's case, wine has had such an effect on them that they, they look forward to their wine hour. They, they, they anticipate it with, with a sense of joy and relief. This person, we could say, is maybe seduced by wine. Wine kind of has this effect on some people. It might not be wine. It could be any hard alcohol um, Wine isn't the hardest, of course, but but any alcohol that has this effect on a man has a, a, a seducing effect on many people, a tempting effect on many people. And the elder shouldn't be a person who is seduced or tempted in this way because, number one, it makes him a bad example. It, it makes him, when, when he is seducible by this or when he is frequently seen with his wine, he becomes uh, a, an object to be copied. He becomes somebody to be emulated. And in many instances, that becomes a reason for a stumbling block. Or in other words, some people who um, don't have very good self-control will want to copy their elder. They're emboldened by his Christian witness, and then they're going to do what he does because obviously he can do it, and he's fine, and so I'll do it, and I'll be fine. And it actually very often leads to um, either full-on addiction to alcohol or just uh, uh, stumbling right over the line and into drunkenness. And so the Scripture warns us that that wine actually has a, 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 a violent impact against the spirit of God. In other words, when, when you're taught, be not drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the spirit, we, we see that there is a direct competition between the work of alcohol in a person's system and the work of a of the Spirit of God in a person. And so the Christian is taught, don't let this competition happen. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And so the the elder, your elder, knows that this is true, and we don't want to, uh, we don't want to put in, in, in the competition for the believers to, to be unsure of how to deal with this competition between the spirit and the wine. Don't be drunk with it. 
Don't let wine have this place of displacing the spirit. How often do you want your pastor to be filled with wine instead of the spirit? You, you want your pastor to be able to speak with the words of the spirit, to act with the demeanor of the spirit, to think with the fullness of the spirit. It's what we want to be able to look up to as our pastor. That's what we want to hear when he speaks. So this person who is an elder is not given to wine. He's not um, habitually a wine drinker. He's also not violent, is what the next uh, line says. Um, Striker is one of the English translations of the word violent there, or a bully. He's not a bully. Many men can get their way with volume at times. Some people coerce with the, with the loudness of their voice. Some people coerce with their meanness, either physical meanness or threatening meanness. The, that, the, this, this violence is, is a way of getting what you want. It, it, it's a way of reacting against what you don't like. The elder isn't a violent person. You don't want uh, an elder who does not have this this uh, this this habit and this emotion under the constraint under the constraint of the spirit. This is how some people get their way, but this is not how an elder uh, teaches or leads. A bishop cannot be like this. He's not greedy for money. It goes on to say, "Is he about making money?" And one of the things we would um, maybe compare it to is is does he does he prefer money to serving his congregation? Does he prefer money to uh, studying God's word or to doing the work of the ministry? You want to have a good understanding if your person you're considering as an elder or pastor is a person who's greedy for money. Goes on to say, is he hospitable? He must be hospitable. Well, some people are hospitable and some people are not hospitable. And you want the elder, you want your bishop, you want your pastor to be hospitable. What does that mean? Is their home open? It actually um, means kind strangers is another uh, uh, another translation of the word there, kind of strangers. But hospitality is a Christian virtue. It, it is something Christians are commanded to do. Are you hospitable? Well, you have people in your home to give them a meal. If you won't or if you don't, as a Christian, it could be maybe because your pastor doesn't. And so you haven't learned that. You haven't been challenged in that. If you don't, you may have some issues in your life putting the brakes on your hospitality that are sin. What have you maybe let creep into your life that inhibits your hospitality? What is it? Is there something you're embarrassed about? Is there, for some reason, um, maybe uh, an incapacity to hospitality? It is one of the great Christian graces. And an elder is to be hospitable. We should be able to know that they're hospitable. So it's something we can observe in their lives. They are a person who is a lover of what is good, it goes on to say. So positively, they love what is good. We should be able to see that in their lives. 
Is the pastor sober-minded? Or is he trivial, worldly, or silly? Is he sober-minded? Sober can mean serious. Sober can mean, you know, is, is he kind of focused on the things that are the main and important things, or is he thinking about things that, that are inconsequential? Is that what kind of a person this this man is? Is he sober-minded? Is he just? Is he actually fair? Or is he sectarian? Sectarian is a, is a biblical word, and it means... Um, a, a sectarian person or someone who is not just picks their side and, and they're on that side no matter what. Um, some, some particularly denominational type of pastors will, will only approve if, if they're standing with the denomination. Some denominations in our day end up being a greenhouse, a hothouse for some sinful behaviors but the, the, the men of the denomination will only stand for this denomination and they'll put up with sin in the denomination because they're going to stand up for the for their group. That's sectarianism. But we are people of the scriptures. We're people who love the truth. We are just. We love what's true. We love what's right. And we will stand up for what is true and what is right. He won't be sectarian. Is he holy? Is he holy? Remember the word holy means separate. Is he set apart to the Lord? Or is he is is, is his loyalties unclear to you? Can can you not tell what he is set apart to? If he's holy, then you know he loves the Lord and he loves the Word of God and he loves the Lord's church. He's set apart. Is he self-controlled? Self-controlled would speak really about his discipline. Could be the discipline, his self-discipline of his temper, discipline of his spending. What what kinds of uh, things might you witness or see in his life if he is self-controlled or not self-controlled? And again, as you're thinking through this list of things, every now and then when you're thinking about this, you're going to want to know, how would I know? How would I know if they're self-controlled or not? How would I know? And you need to know. You, 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 need, you, you do need to know how to think about these things. Finally, it goes on to say, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Now, this is actually a pretty, pretty interesting part of his qualification here. It means... That he knows what has been taught. He, he, he is familiar with the tradition of the apostles and of the church. He knows what has been taught and he's faithful to what has been taught. He's not an experimenter in theology. He's not an experimenter in church and church life. Like seeker Christianity has turned out to be. You know, how do we get bigger crowds? How do we raise more money? He actually is busy knowing and teaching what has been taught. Okay. I was thinking he uh, 
then this 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 would mean he is actually a conservative person in the true meaning of the word conservative. Conservatives do what has been done. They teach what has been taught. They don't want to go on to new things. They they want to do what's been done. They they want to keep the truth that's been handed to the church and continue to put that forward. Finally, he's able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. He's able to do that. In other words, he he hears what's wrong and he confronts wrong with the truth of God's word. He he doesn't want to rely on his loudness to scare you into changing your mind. He wants to rely on the convincing of God's word to change the mind and to compel the faith of those who are in his care. He does do this correcting. He does exhort. He does convict with by the word of God. That's a, one of the great qualifications of an elder. So these these characteristics, for the most part, are pretty straightforward. When we read through these things, you can read these and have some sense of what they mean. And, and when you spend some time meditating on them, when, when we study these phrases one by one, and when we look at the details of what these things are, we, we do have a good idea of, of what these things would look like. And, and just as you would not want a plumber to come to your house who does not know the difference between a sanitary sweep and PEX pipe. If your plumber doesn't know what those things are, then you wouldn't want him to be your plumber. If, if, if your pastor is not these things, then he's not a pastor. You need to realize that when, when, when I put myself when I put my ears and when I put my mind in the presence of this person who's an elder, are they really an elder? Are they really a pastor? Because the things I hear from this person and the things I watch in this person's life are going to impact me. They, they are what the Lord has placed in the church for his purposes, for his people. And so we want to be discerning people as we think about this relationship between the Christian and the pastor. We want to know how to spot them. We want to know how to see them. A couple of questions. Does he need to be a good worship leader? Hmm. There, there, there are some things that, that churches have made crucial parts of the Christian experience now that you may have inadvertently allowed to be crucial. And so when I ask this question, does he need to be a good worship leader? You have to think this through. Is that what the Lord has explained for us or described for us in Timothy and Titus, for example? Did, did we find a good worship leader? Or do we have maybe a contemporary idea of what a good worship leader is? And does the New Testament teach something else about what a good worship leader is? We want to be careful to be thinking discerningly about who is actually leading and helping to govern the church. Does he need to be a good janitor? Small churches often look for uh, a person who can take care of their, 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 their needs around their, their building. They're like, well, if he can do this stuff, then he's going to solve a lot of our problems for us. Does the pastor, according to Paul, 
according to the New Testament, is that one of the qualifications of an elder? You know, can he can he fix the the, the building for us? Does he need to be an engaging speaker like like Spurgeon, or does he need to be funny? Does sh- should he be funny? Should we pick the guy who gets us laughing nicely on Sunday, which may actually indicate that he's not sober if he's consistently cracking jokes? These kinds of questions are helpful to us when we're thinking about who we would be seeking and, and what we want. We want to remember to bring our ideas and our thoughts and let them be formed by what the New Testament has taught us. What has Paul taught us? What does the Spirit say? Uh, the, the characteristics and the way we identify this person. We want to resist the carnal desire to be entertained. We want to resist the carnal desire to have our ears tickled. 2 Timothy 4. Um, Let's look at 2 Timothy 4 and uh, read verses 2 to 4. 2 Timothy 4, 2 to 4. So in this letter to uh, a young-ish pastor, in these instructions for him in his ministry... He's taught in in verse 2 here, preach the word. He's commanded, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, or another translation of the itching there, because they want to have their ears tickled. They will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, Timothy. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And if you're not discerning and in putting your soul and your ears in the care of an actual elder, if you're not thinking about that, then then the things you are absorbing as a Christian, the, the, your, your being equipped is going to be done by a person who is not an elder, who is not a pastor. So we want to we watch and listen with, with great discernment. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, there's an interesting passage here. And let's just think about this for a moment as we close. I'm going to read to you 1 Samuel 15 from verse 12. Okay? And as we think about a congregation's need of a pastor and how we go about looking for them and what we do, listen to this interesting story in the early, early days of uh, Israel. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared 
the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said, speak. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And so while Samuel wasn't there with him, King Saul um, really kind of he made his own sacrifice to the Lord, and he kept part of it that he would devote to the Lord. So he did two things wrong. He didn't he didn't wait for Samuel to come and, and do what Samuel was going to come and do. And he did his, uh, his, his worship and his service to the Lord in his own way. And he's rebuked soundly for it. In other words, there's a there's there's a time to wait and, and in his case, it was waiting for Samuel to get there. Samuel was going to meet him there. And he didn't wait for Samuel. There's a time to be careful to do what you've been instructed to do. He, he had been instructed. This is how you're going to be faithful to the Lord. He, he made up his own way. He kept part of the riches for his own way of dealing with his worship. And what was before him. One of the things that we want to do is we think about who who is an elder, who is a pastor of this church in the in the coming months. We want to be careful to wait, and we don't want to uh, succumb to the, the the threat of urgency. You may feel like, wow, if we don't find someone to, to deal with this sooner than later, then we're going to have problems that we we don't know how to deal with and so let's just solve it let's say on 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 next friday someone says hey i'd be interested in in maybe being pastor at this church and 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 he's got a gift of speaking see he's a he's a he's a compelling orator but he lacks two or three or four of these other qualifications of an elder you can be like well he's a really good speaker and he comes from a good church, so why not? Let's just go with this. You know, four out of five is bad. I, I, I want to caution you with myself. It, it, it'll be tempting. It'll be tempting to just kind of eagerly grab a hold to the first uh, opportunity that we might have and ignore some of the Lord's instructions in these regards. So. Let me just tell you a little bit about what we've done to this point as we're seeking a pastor. Um, I, I believe maybe you, you all know, but I've contacted the Frontier School of the Bible. I've contacted the IFCA. I've contacted New Tribes Mission, and I've contract, uh, contacted EMU. EMU is a mission that we uh, support on the East Coast. New Tribes Mission is West and Lori's mission, a mission I've been with for a while. The IFCA is an umbrella agency that um, our church is is under Independent Fundamentalist Churches of America and Frontier School of the Bible is a, uh, a place that um, we kind of have some indirect connections with as, as, a, as a church here uh, just because of 
who founded this church originally. So we've contacted these people and told these organizations that we are uh, looking for someone to pastor uh, a church out here in Northern California. And so the reason these places have been contacted are, number one, they're quite, uh, their, their reputation is for being careful with, with the Word of God. They tend to be conservative in their outlook now, uh, which, which anymore is a little bit rare. It's a little bit unique. Most places have kind of been given over to wokeness and, and liberal theology. But as, as far as we know, uh, hopefully these places are mostly uh, conservative at, at least. We believe they are. So we're, we've asked them to be on the lookout for us and, and to help us see if somebody um, coming through any of those organizations, any of those training uh, systems might be looking to pastor a church. And so that's one thing that we've been doing. And we're looking for other potential contacts or connections like this. Uh, the church in Potter Valley knows uh, we're looking. Tony knows we're looking. Uh, there are other individuals who know we're looking, and we will continue to see if there are other places we might want to uh, make it be known that we are looking for someone to help and, and shepherd at this church here. I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage you Know that we really need to be vigilant in prayer about this. Um, our, our worldly means of attracting a person to this job are pretty nominal. There, We do have a worldly attraction here, and I want you to be alert to it. There's a large property here, and there's free rent here. And so if, if, if the wrong guy gets wind of that scenario and knows how to capitalize on it, you're in trouble. That is, a, a, a big piece of land and a free place to live is attractive to some people. And so we want to know, we want to keep in our minds that the wrong person can take advantage of this situation. And we don't want to hand that opportunity to someone to take advantage of. We want to be really careful to know who we ask to come and do this because it would be disastrous if we lost what the Lord has given us here. So I want to challenge you to to be alert and to be cautious and to be prayerful. In the Philippians 4, 6 to 8, the Lord teaches us to be anxious for nothing but in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We want to say, Lord, we really desire you to bring us a pastor. We really desire you to put a shepherd here who would be careful with God's word, who would be tender with the sheep, who would be faithful to teach the sheep. And the Lord Jesus is the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. And so the other day when I was running and thinking about this a little bit, I, I remember the Lord's uh, speaking to speaking to, to, to people who would be in a prayerful circumstance and, and the scenario is this. If a child asks his father for an egg, what should the child expect from his father? A scorpion? <laughs> That's how the conversation goes, right? No. Even men who are wicked 
know how to give good things to their children. And the conclusion of that is, therefore, God who is good and God who is rich and gracious, he will give the Holy Spirit to those who seek it and ask for it. And therefore, on that same basis, I know the Lord doesn't wish to keep any good from his people. So let's be prayerful. Let's be really prayerful and ask the Lord to take care of his church. Let me close with you in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the administration. We thank you for the the, the method you have uh, ordained for churches and for Christians to be to be taught and to be um, protected. Lord, we pray for your church here in Laytonville. We pray that you would indeed put it on the heart of uh, a pastor, that he would love to come here and teach and become a part of this congregation. Lord, we pray for your, your good timing and we pray for your provision. Lord, we ask you sings and we thank you for it in Christ's precious name. Amen. We're going to sing a song here in just a second. Um, this afternoon, we're going to spend uh, a little bit of time um, watching a, a, a very short uh, documentary on, on the Council of Trent and then um, really getting kind of ready for a, a little bit more of a detail. Uh, session on the Jesuits. Next week is when we'll do more detailed uh, time on the Jesuits and, and look into kind of their their role, their their part in the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, so, if you'd like to join us this afternoon, we'd love for you to be able to do that. And then, of course, we're having uh, lunch after church. So, if you can join us for that, we'd love that too. Let's uh, let's stand and sing a closing song together.
dismissed. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. It's great to see you today.